therefore, <laughs> there are lots of therefores in the letter of Paul to the Romans. Lots of therefores. One began the, began the chapter at verse 1, so I could be there, but no, I'm actually down in verse 12. Therefore, chapter 5, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, anthropon, through one man, armatia, hamartia, sin, falling short, missing the mark, archery turn. When you would take aim at the target and your arrow wouldn't even make it to the target, you had fallen short. You had missed the mark. You had failed to do what you were supposed to do. That status, that condition, that reality for human beings came into the world with one stupid anthropon, Adam. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. That's an interesting sequence there. Sin comes into the world through one man. You notice the uh, inclusive language translators didn't fix that one right there. <laughs> they left it man. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin. The wages of sin is death. The penalty for falling short of God ex God's expectation of perfection is death. That seems like a pretty high penalty, doesn't it? But if you think back to the creation story, the word was, you eat of the tree, you'll die. Well, it didn't happen that instant they ate of it, but, but they did. They began dying. And they died ever since. The desire to, to be your own God, to, 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 to be able to determine for yourself good and evil. That, that desire to, to, to be able to chart your own course and be in control and not trust the promises and word of God brings with it the penalty of being separated from God and hence death. So, just as sin came into the world through the one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So it's a little bit convoluted here, but what he's essentially saying is sin comes in through one guy, Adam, the, the first human, the first Adam through the transgression, through the desire to chart one's own course. Sin comes in. 
And it didn't take the law for there to be sin. There was simply the word of God which was transgressed. Fun, more, far more fundamental than the law of Moses is the promise and the directive of God simply put. Don't eat of that tree. You can eat any tree you want. Don't eat of that one. And of course when you tell a child not to do something, what do they do? They do it. And that's the similar kind of thing you need to write here. What means that sin is not reckoned when there is no law? Okay, the specific sins. Not the state of sin. The specific sins. It's hard to know the specific sins that you commit if you don't have the law. The law serves to teach you what sin is, what, it, what, it, what characteristics make up sin, how you can tell that you are sinning. The law serves that function in Pauline theology. It is the schoolmaster to teach us our need of Christ, our need of grace, how far we fall short. I mean, we miss that target that God has for us by quite a bit. The law is sort of like the measuring rod that shows us how far we fall short. Our, our, the character and specific sins that we commit cannot be known apart from the law. But the state of sin exists apart from the law. It's kind of a Jewish mother approach. Trust me, you're a Trust me, you're a sinner. A lot of guilt there. Uh, well, yeah, because there is. I mean, it's the, the story of the creation in sort of a thumbnail sketch right here in verses 12 and following. Sin was indeed in the world before the law. The desire to do it your own way. Or as Frank Sinatra used to sing, I did it my way. The most awful attitude when it comes to sin and death of them all is I did it my way. Yeah, and you ended up in the grave, didn't you? <laughs> um, sin was indeed in the world before the law. But sin is not reckoned when there is no law. There is, you, you can't identify what the individual sins are, but it's there nevertheless. But as you said, the Jewish mother approach. Yet death exercised the, the penalty for sin, for falling short of God's will. Sin exercised dominion. And pay attention to that word because it's going to come up again in a minute. Dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. So he's setting up here the typological characteristic and connection between the first Adam, Adam, and the second Adam, Jesus. He's setting that up. The first Adam failed. The second Adam reverses that failure, corrects that failure, repairs it, rebuilds the connection between humans and God, reestablishes that which is wiped out, the image of God in human beings. Where does the Ten Commandments come into all this? Ten Commandments is part of the law of Moses. was given on Mount Sinai is a fantastic sketch of human relation to God and human relation to neighbor. But there was sin even before the Ten Commandments were established. Mm -hmm. The sin and, nature existed. And until between that time and the time of Christ, was it impossible to be sin free? 
Uh, yeah, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay. You could do the best you could. You could uh, attain an approximation established by humans. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, this checkoff list of things. You can do a good job at being good. You can attempt to follow the rules and the regulations to the best of your ability. And it was like horseshoes. You got close and that was considered good enough. So it's basically like today. Only it was pre-Christ. Laws. I mean, what do you mean by basically like today? I mean, I'm not well, going to argue with you. I think it is, but, <laughs> but I want to hear how you explain that. Okay. So the, the laws that were given to Moses for man to follow mm -hmm. was that group of laws, and, and nobody is totally sin-free in that realm. And so then we have the birth of Christ who died to take care of our sins, we can't live a totally sin-free life. Well, apart we from Christ, we cannot. We instead of instead of trying to to be good or to follow the law in order to be saved, mm -hmm. in order to enter into the relationship with God that God wants for us, instead of doing that, we live by Christ, have Christ's faith functioning within us, which transforms us, and that law becomes internalized to us. The, the presence of God comes into us and transforms us. The law becomes written on our hearts. We discover ourselves doing and living in that relationship that God wants for us, even though we're not following a set of external laws that we go, okay, I did this one, this one, and this one. Right. Okay. And when um, is this going to happen? Hmm? It happens now. I keep hearing that, but even with that happening, then we must be getting a little away from Christ from time to time, or there still wouldn't be sin. Oh, absolutely. There's the, remember, there's the distinction between imputed and imparted righteousness, where you're declared not guilty, and then the status, the reality of being not guilty slowly accrues to you, and you start doing and acting and thinking more and more and more as Christ would have you do, act, and think. You start to change. Not through some external, you will change, right. but you want to. You become motivated by the Holy Spirit's life in you to, to change. It, it becomes part of your nature to change. Not, not natural to you, but, but infused into you by the Holy Spirit. It just kind of happens. It does happen. You can see that in people. Mm -hmm. Then you discover, oh my goodness, look. Uh, not through beating on myself, but by responding in faith to God. And God's life in coming into me, changing me, I see that my life is becoming more and more and more in conformity with the character of the life described in the law. Not necessarily the details. That, that, those are culturally driven and several other factors. But, but the character of the relationship with, with the Creator. And the relationship, equally important, with the people, with your sisters and brothers in this life. Hence, hence Jesus' thumbnail sketch of the law. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't do one without the other. Right. You really can't love your neighbor as yourself without loving God. And if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, I'm going to question your loving God. One results in the other and affirms the other. The law is designed to do that. Hence, you got the Ten Commandments with this two halves, your relationship to God and your relationship to neighbor. 
But that's external to you, not internalized. And what he's saying here is this external business was added on to help us identify the very reality of the falling shortness, which began with Adam and reigned until Moses. Yet, verse 14, yet death, which is the penalty for this falling shortness, yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses. We really, as Christians, we really need to get away from this idea that sins are things that we do that are bad, that some people think are bad, or that we might have identified in the Bible as being bad. That's the, that's the symptoms at, at most. Those specific transgressions, that's actually the Jewish way of looking at it. But that's not, that's, that's not sin. Sin is what Adam and Eve did. Failing to trust God and the relationship God had with them. And instead trusting the serpent. And desiring to be like God. Instead of trusting in God, you want to be God. Instead of trusting God's word, you trust somebody else's word, your own word, your own desire, your own vision. That very nature, that sin nature, is, um, is what sin is, not the details. Is there a difference between sin and trespasses? I mean, can you think of the trespasses as the outworkings of what we see our actions as falling short and the sin being in, in modern English, you could identify trespasses as the specific, the specific things. To have a distinction between... If you wish to, you could. That's an artificial modern distinction. In, in earlier versions of English, the English of the King James, for example, they meant one of the same thing. Uh, but um, in modern English, you could do that. You could say there's the sin nature or there's sin, and then there are trespasses, the things that you do that are bad. Roman Catholic Church tries to do that too when it establishes the concept of mortal versus venial sin. Venial sin, which doesn't knock you out of a relationship with God, but there's still mistakes, there's still sins. Mortal sins, which wipe you out of your relationship with God because they are so drastically powerful that they are characteristic of the very nature of the sin nature. Venial sins can be easily dealt with. Mortal sins cannot be. And you could always tell, too, because when you went into confession, you came out and you went into the um, pew and got down on knees and started praying away. You knew they were venial sins. If you left the church and kept on going. <laughs> <laughs> you had a whole lot more to do than just get out there and do the rosary, correct? <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's exactly, that's, that's essentially correct. Um, we, you know, humans try to do that, try to establish the different characteristics. In the end, I think that's a mistake. While it is true that on the human scale there are various scales to sin, on the humans, on the human frame, no. With God, there are no variations. You miss, you miss, you miss. And you know, somebody brought that up to me, and I was going to ask you about that. Um, so the person asked me, so. Stealing a piece of gum is just like, is the same sin as killing a man. Stealing a piece of gum and killing a person is falling short. And falling short is falling short. Yeah. They were pretty upset about that. I don't like it either. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, 
the point, it, it, it draws us to then the reality that in the, in the absolute frame of reference, a sin is a sin, period. You might be able to come up with uh, your justifiable reasons for doing either. I mean, I could hypothesize all day long. That's called casuistry. It's in a section of ethics. And people do it all the time to establish your reasons for committing these sins. It's this, they're, they're, they're still falling short. Now, does God judge the murderer as the gum stealer? Well, it depends on whether or not they are repentant and living in Christ Jesus. I'll bet you that's where they're getting the confusion. They are equating sin with judgment. Mm -hmm. That we sin the same, so we judge the same. And, 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 and we see that right here. For sin comes death. Death reigns. The penalty for sin is death. Death reigns. Death reigns. The penalty for stealing a piece of gum eternally is death. Because you're falling short of God's will. The penalty for murder is death. You're falling short of God's will. Because Christ died for us, took that penalty for us, then there is the opportunity just as the opportunity existed under the sacrificial system where you took a lamb and projected the sins onto it then sacrificed it and sprinkled the blood on the high holy altar on the mercy seat and you paid for sin that way. Because Christ died, we have the option and the opportunity, the, 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 the glorious opportunity to repent, step beyond that. It is covered, it is washed away. Now, Here's an interesting question, and it's entirely speculative. I, I don't know if the Bible says anything about it or not. Does it take the same amount of forgiveness, or let's use literal terms, does it say, take the same amount of blood to cover the sin of stealing a stick of gum as, steal, as murder? If you're disobeying that commandment about loving your neighbor as yourself when a man has shed the blood, he's probably shedding the same amount for you. Thank you. That would be my answer. It takes the same amount. Even though it's tough, that seems absolutely atrocious. Stealing a stick of gum, murder, the same, both are violations of the will of God. That's why harmatia is such a nice definition as opposed to our definition of what we conceptually think of sin as. The checklist. Yeah, I mean, harmatia is just falling short, period. period. And, and that... You didn't hit the target. Right. You hit the broad side of the barn. <laughs> you hit the ground between, literally in, in Greek parlance, you hit the ground between you and the target, not the target. And stealing a piece of gum, if that's all you ever did, you still fell short. Now you may have only fallen short a little bit, but it doesn't matter. You see, that's where God's grace comes in. <laughs> and God's grace overcomes the murder and the stealing of the stick of gum. In the absolute world of God, Hold that for a second. In the world of today, here and now, in schools today, you pass with a 70. Is that still true? Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. When I was in a graduate school, I had friends who were in the doctoral program at Duke University Medical Center. And they were moaning and groaning over the fact that you know they were having these tests and they were making C's and B minuses and C minuses and C pluses and whatnot. 
And I looked at them and I said, what are you whining about? And I said, what do you mean? I says, in your field, what do you call a person who graduates from medical school with a C? Doctor. <laughs> I don't want to have a C doctor, but that yeah. You don't hang that on the wall in your office. No, you don't. You don't hang your transcript there. You just hang the diploma. But in God's absolute structure, a ninety-nine point nine is still a failure. It takes a one hundred. And in Pauline theology, in biblical theology, Jesus scored the one hundred. Because he scored the 100, by God's grace, that 100 is applied to us. That's another way of looking at the whole conception of imputed as and imparted righteousness. And then we start getting those grades. They start coming to us. We start getting 80s and 85 and 90s. You know, <laughs> but it, it, it's slow. But it does happen. Well, yes. Nowadays. Back then, they, they had sin was a choice. But today, we see sin is not always a choice. It's a condition other than the person's fault themselves. For what? In those cases? I mean, it, it, okay, now, give me a phrase. Well, environment pushes people. In the, anything that knocks people off of dead center, environment, heredity, uh, body chemistry, and we understand today that those factors are all involved. Well, well we still call them sins. Uh, yeah, we do. And I would say that those those factors were involved back then too. Well, I don't think they they didn't understand look it. At them like they that. didn't understand them as such. Well, what do we do today now that we understand them better? Well, we do have to be uh, careful about that because some things that do happen and people do do are conditioned by both biochemistry and cultural chemistry. A person could be treated so violently that their reaction would be to kill. Okay, does, does the fact that they were treated violently resulting in them becoming killers, does that make their killing okay? No, it doesn't. No, but if they repent, then they're It doesn't, ex the conditions do not excuse the behavior or or the sin, sinning that goes on. I just on. don't see that because if a person has body chemistry pushing him in a particular way, he has no control over that. Yeah, but you don't. You do have the control over stealing the gum, maybe or maybe not. But you're all on this. Uh, it's an even playing field, looks like. Well, there's a case right now. It's an even playing family. field. It feels better to know that your equivalent, that blood that was shed, I think. Excuse me, just a second. Me, for you, you know, for the guy who steals the who steals the gum. Because, and he knew better, and he didn't treat, he didn't love the neighbor like himself. Maniac. <laughs> Versus the maniac, yeah. he just has to, you know, steal. But, but a little I don't bit. see the point of the question. Relates the way Greg's described it. Whether they, what they do, doesn't determine whether they're no. sinners. In my, not in my understanding. They're sinners, and and they're going to, think, in order to overcome that, they're going to need to repent and be saved. Do you think society just passes over the actions? Of I don't think people? society no. is punishing people no, for sin. So. No, I don't think that's what we're doing. They, they get punished for violating violating laws of man. We're protecting ourselves human beings, from mm -hmm. and then we protect ourselves from them by incarcerating them or whatever. That's a different thing. Uh, jurisprudence is something different from what we're talking about here. 
Many of the denominations that you know about that you've experienced who have viewed sin like this and judge people eternally based on these kinds of issues operate with the conception that God has a jurisprudence system like the Jews understood where you, you committed this sin, this sin, this sin, you make a 62, you go to hell. Whereas you got, you, you did this, this, and this sin, but you did these good works that overrides, that's bonus points, so you actually got a 71.1, you get to go to heaven. You know, I'm, I'm mixing the metaphors of, of school and, and crime, although some people would say they're the same thing. <laughs> um, but in, 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 many people in this world still have that understanding. And it's, in my opinion, it's not Christian. And, it, and, it, and it's not New Testament biblical. But the way this, you're reading old language, old ideas here. We know better now, but at this time, they didn't. And that, therefore, I believe that they came up with an idea of Adam uh, polluting humans to answer the question, why are people doing all this? But nowadays, we look at it, well, we know why people are doing this. It's not sin-driven. Well, you could say that the society is the result of it that the societal ills that result in people doing evil things is itself the result of. So you can trace it straight back. I was looking at this as an answer to an ancient question All right. rather than something cement written no, in life. No, I think it's right. Ancient question. Yeah. Uh, why, why do people act like they do? Right. Because we are made of clay. That is what because we are. We what? Because we are made of clay. Metaphor. That is what we are. Yeah. Right. There is no, there is no science to it. We just are. I think what bothers Lee and a lot of us that like to think of God as a very nice, mm -hmm. super, supreme being, and who did all this for us, we like to think that He would not have allowed that type of evil. Mm -hmm. If I may say so, to exist, so that we're having this conversation. I think that bothers Lee, and it bothers me. Why didn't God make a pristine universe that could not have? This is your question from last week. That could not have evil in it. God could have created a universe that would not have sin and evil in it. But then there would have been no freedom to choose to trust or not to trust. You just trust. Well, mainly my question Obey. was not sin. It was uh, hardships. Yeah, bad things. Oh, really bad things. Mm -hmm. uh, under and people have no control. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Isn't there a, a factor to this discussion that there's a consequence for what Adam did, and that was he was expelled from the garden, which was away from the presence of God, away from, and and at that point there was there, that separation of God. Then he started to die, both physically and spiritually, and a lot of these bad things. Resulted. Started to creep into the, the life of humankind. Being removed. I'm going to ask you a question. When you first held your infant daughter or son when they were born, did you see something composed of evil and sin in your hands there? Or did you see something of innocence? That's why this is so contrary to what. 
Actually, that's a really good question because I yeah. would say that's very similar to what God did with Adam and up mm -hmm. until the point he sinned. I mean, as a child, a newborn, you see that beautiful, innocent child. But then once that child starts to grow up, you exercise see, their free will. And they start <laughs> yeah, exercising their Boy, free will. You see that evil. Greg wants. Then these things I was talking about before, body chemistry, environment, and so mm -hmm. forth, have such a strong play on them. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Are we talking about sin or just that's something that one the they can't help? Sin generates that. Sin generates it. How does sin generate that? If sin is falling short and it's the opposite of God's nature, if you have that nature inside of you, like we all my do. My God, if, if, if my body chemistry tells me to do something, what control do I have over Where do you get that, that sin generates... Uh, Schizophrenia. I don't get that yes. in this. It, it would Well, it doesn't come from here. It, it generates the con sin. The sin. The fallen state, being separated from God, generates the conditions in which those types of things happen. Oh, I wouldn't identify schizophrenia so much as that, though. Well, I mean, you're talking about uh, it, it, it. It creates this homicidal uh, mania. Okay, there you go. <laughs> uh, that is can be the result of all sorts of different both cultural and biochemical agents, some of which are intertwined. And that whole basis, the whole, the whole state or condition, is the result, eventually, if you go back far enough, of being separated from God. Can I ask you a question then? Sure. Do you think God loves you? I have no idea. There you go. <laughs> I mean, we are this. from what the church said, I can believe God loves me from nature and so forth. But what the church throws at me is so confusing. Mm -hmm. I have real questions about if I'm on the same base, um, if I'm on the right level with church, because I don't understand it. Coming off of what you just said, verse 8. But God proves God's love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. It doesn't matter the, the, the social conditions, the biochemical conditions, all of that, it, it, the desires to sin, the desires to go your own way, what Adam did, what we do, the details of sin, the nature of sin, it, it's irrelevant. It may be, the sin may be, a, as you describe it, a tsunami wave. But while we were stuck in all of that mess, that mire, God still loved us so much. God's love was so powerful, so huge, that God was willing to send Jesus to come in and take the penalty that we merit, according to the law, that we merit, and die in our place, take our place, so that we could then enter into a relationship with God despite this sin nature. So that we could be declared not guilty even though we are. And then enter into that relationship. And it's precisely because of love. Because God loved the world so much. That's that intersection between John and Paul. That's right. John 3.16 right. and Romans 5.8 yeah. intersect at that point. 
I guess it's very important that you realize how much God loves you. And Lee, I think, I mean, there's an intellectual thing going on in your head because you're a very smart man that is struggling with the whole idea. But in watching you now for over a year and a half and watching your relationships with people in this church, you have experienced and you express to others the love of God. Mm -hmm. Amen. I've seen it. Why is the church so confusing? <laughs> you know what? I agree. It can be we, need a church, we need a church for dummies. But, <laughs> right. but I would we say that it's really, it's not, it, it's because human beings screw it up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think if you go back to God's word and to Jesus' word that he is confusing or that he is um, anything but laying out a very simple path. It's just difficult for us, I think as human beings to accept that because we've got to add all these other things because that's our nature to do so. Whether it's a list of rules, we make ourselves feel better because we can we can achieve those rules and then we lay that trip on other people. Mm. Well, and we're not so selfless that we can't put our own spin on it. Very nice. Very nicely done. When you said you weren't sure if, if God loves you or not, I, I think then you need to ask yourself, what you think of Jesus Christ himself and what he said he did because in these verses and others obviously he said he loved you Lee enough to die and that verse 8 mm -hmm. you know this version has an interesting read on it it says but God commendeth his own love unto us in that we as yet being sinners Christ in our behalf died I mean it's very personal in our in behalf in for our, us in our behalf died so if oh. you believe that Christ thank you John if you believe that Christ is who he said he was, and he died for you, or he died for me, you really believe that. How can you not react to love that being that did that? Who said I believe that? Well, that's why I'm saying. As, a, as confusing as the church is, <laughs> Good job. I would be suspicious of anything. Well, that's where I think that's the core of what is teetering you. And until you settle that for yourself, I, I, it, that's a... And I think it's a legitimate thank you. A legitimate point, Lee. You know, this is confusing stuff. And I think some of it may be because this was written two thousand years ago with an understanding of the world and what I will call, you know, at great risk a myth that uh, may or may not work as well for us today as it did, you know. But there's an awful lot in here if you if you sit down and pick it apart the way we've been doing it, that really does work if you can kinda push some of the push some of it aside and just, just look at the core of it to mm -hmm. me. I guess what I would say is to anybody who expresses some of the question that you did is don't let the stupidness of human beings in the church especially <laughs> get between <laughs> you and the love of God. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, uh, certainly between you and experiencing that love. And, and I've seen you share that love with others. So I know you have experienced even if you've experienced stupidity on the part of Christians and institutions that have so muddied up mm -hmm. the proclamation of the love of God that it becomes hard to see or feel or, or, or express it or know it. Picking it up in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through one man's trespass 
much more surely have the grace of God, I thought this was fascinating, have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. You have living Bible over there? No, Read, read verse 15. Just hit it okay. if you need to. <laughs> and what a difference between man's sin and God's forgiveness. For this one man, Adam, brought death to many through his sin. But this one man, Jesus Christ, brought forgiveness to many through God's mercy. Actually, that's really good. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's quite mm -hmm. helpful here. Because you can get stuck in the, in the slightly convoluted language here in your translation. And the Greek doesn't make it any easier. I was looking at the phrasing here. Uh, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus. That sounds strange, doesn't it? There's the grace of God and the free gift. It's actually a completely different word in the original, doria, meaning free gift, which is an aspect separate from yet connected to charis, which is grace. Yeah, I thought grace was a free gift. Exactly. That was my question why I went back and looked, yeah. at, it, looked at the reading over here in, in, in the Greek. And it's a, it uses a different word, doria, which means a free gift. But it's a, it's a more precise free gift, a more specific free gift than just general charis or grace. Oh, it's a free gift for a trespass, a huge trespass. Much more surely have, the, have, plural, the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus, abounded for the many. And the free gift, the, make sure it's the same word, yeah, yeah, doria, and the free gift is not like the effect of one man's sin, not like the effect of Adam's sin. For the judgment following one trans trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift, following many trespasses, re results in or brings justification. Okay, that, that, not to over-intellectualize, but that's what bothers me, and I think having done the disciple with Lee, that bothers him. The part about, it's almost like, and I understand what they're saying, and I'm not trying to intellectualize. I know he's comparing the... All this stuff that Adam did. Paul is intellectualizing this, so why yeah, don't okay. you do it? Yeah, why not? <laughs> therefore, therefore, I am free to intellectualize it. Uh, you know, you're talking about, and that's the unfairness thing, and it doesn't sound like God to say, well, you know, I gave Adam a chance, he screwed up, the rest of you are going to die forever, hell with you, so to speak, except for those that believe in me and my son that died for you. Now, all those people in between will deal with them later. That's the intellectualizing part. So why bring it up, God, about Adam, an original sin, <laughs> in the first place, unless you're bringing it up to compare what a great deal you did by Jesus shedding his blood for us. and We're all forgiven for this sin that some of us don't think we had anything to do with. Because it happened before us, you understand what I'm saying? 
I think that bothers Lee a little bit. <laughs> I can't speak for myself, oh, but speaking for Lee. <laughs> Let's just add some fuel to Lee's fire. Do you want to say something? You want to speak speak for Susan Lee? (laughs) (laughs) I think you can speak for Susan (laughs) Lee. I'm still trying to figure out what she said. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. I don't find Lee that that, that confusing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you said. He said that um, he gave me a call and he said, Paul and I went to the same school. Yeah. Same writing well, school. <laughs> <laughs> oh! <laughs> well, my mind kind of works the opposite way. Okay. And it just, I, I keep thinking of this simple little parable that Jesus told about the landowner who paid the workers that came in the morning yeah. the same amount that he paid the workers that came at noon, that he paid the workers that came an hour before quitting time. See, that's not fair either, we don't think. We're going to <laughs> and <laughs> see, that's what the morning workers thought. That, and the, they, they, they were not happy about that, but they weren't the landowner. He's the boss. He gets to pay the people whatever he thinks that he's, he wants to pay them. Mm-hmm. And what was the other part? Um... If you show up, you get paid. Period. And they agreed That's too. Kind of and they yeah. agreed to it. They, they were going back. Right. It was the wages they agreed to to begin with. That's right. And it doesn't make any difference so, whether you like it or agree with right. it or not. That's the way it is. You know, and that way with sin. You know, that's the yeah. way it is, Lee. The they, <laughs> and essentially correct. And because it entered by one guy, the first Adam. And this is to summarize what Paul said here in those few verses that was rather convoluted itself. Sin entered through one guy, Adam. Sin, you could even say it this way, exits, is done away with through one guy, Jesus, the second Adam. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion, that was mentioned back up here in verse 14. Death exercised dominion through that one. Much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace. Notice it doesn't go to all. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so through, through one idiot's mistake... In, in the framing of the creation story. Through one person's mistake in refusing, or you can even say two, in refusing to, to follow God's word, sin enters into the world. The misuse of freedom enters into the world, which is another way to talk about sin. Then through the one man, Jesus' act of, ex, of supreme faith and supreme Trust and and doing the will of God supremely by dying for us. Through his one act, into the world then comes that which negates sin. But, I wish he hadn't said this. (laughs) But, much more surely will those who receive 
the much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, I'm not going to go into, into too much detail because we don't have time, but it's the break point between what Calvinists say on the one hand and what Arminians, Wesleyans, and most other evangelical mm -hmm. and liberal Christians say on the other. Calvinist says that Jesus didn't die for the sins of the whole world, but only for some people's sins. Those who will then accept it, receive it. Because you cannot turn it down. Whereas Arminians and other evangelicals would say, and, and liberals would say, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And then only those who receive it then do this. Yeah, what was the, the second half of verse seventeen? Did you get the difference? It sounds like the results oh, are signed. The end results are signed. I thought I wanted to be a Calvinist until. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> There's no difference. I think you get blamed more if you're a Calvinist. I'm not sure. Okay, where? Uh, well, you just pointed to something. Uh, is it verse five there that you were pointing to? It was verse seventeen. Seventeen. No, last half. Yeah, that, yeah last the minion thing again. Ryan, my book says Ryan. If you go to Romans, I have to go back because I don't have that part of my printout. I wasn't going to do it, but I guess I'll have to. <laughs> How does Jesus dying on the cross? Where and how does the grace get to us? Where does it go? Well, initially, God's grace goes to everybody. The whole worldly. The whole world gets what Arminians call prevenient grace. The grace that goes before anything that we do. Prevenient grace is universal. The, the initial effect of the cross goes to the whole world. The whole world gets it. Prevenient grace. Which is the ability to say yes or no to God. In however you experience God. That goes to people in the West and people in the East. People who've heard of Jesus and people who've never heard of Jesus and never will hear of Jesus by name. The whole world receives prevenient grace. The grace that goes before anything that we do. It is irresistible. You can't say no to it. Because before you received it, you were dead. Theologically, spiritually, you receive prevenient grace, grace going before anything that you do, which then enables you to say yes or to continue saying no to the relationship that God offers. At that point, and only at that point, does grace become resistible at the point of justifying and sanctifying. Alright? So, prevenient grace is irresistible grace. That goes before you do anything. Enabling you to say yes or no. You now have the freedom to say, yes, I want a relationship with God. Before that, you don't. If you then exercise that freedom and say yes, and exercise faith, you are righteousified, justified. 
you are considered as righteous as Jesus. You are given the righteousness of Jesus. You get that free gift. You get that dolra. Yeah, the free gift, exactly. You get that free gift. The Calvinists say no. No. Only those people in the world who are Christians, only those people get anything from the cross. Anything. Only those people who will respond to the gift with faith receive anything. Hence, the atonement, the death of Jesus on the cross, isn't for the whole world. It's limited to the elect, to those who would respond. And therefore, all of grace, every bit of it, is irresistible. And if God has chosen you to be a member of the elect, and you don't want to be, too bad. And if you want to be a member of the elect, and God hasn't chosen you, too bad. Nothing you can do about it. And you prove you're part of the elect by how you act. I don't, I don't understand something that is irresistible that then empowers you to say no. Yeah, it gives you the ability to look at God and hear the offer. Your ears are turned on. And now you hear the offer, which you couldn't even hear before. And then you say, I don't want to accept it. And there are people who do, who say, I don't want that. I want a different kind of life. A life with me in charge. I did it my way. And they said no. They've exercised the freedom that comes in the irresistible free gift that we call prevenient grace, the before-going grace. The Calvinists see it as, you've got the gift, have at it. Be, be a member of the elect. And those of you who don't, too bad. You're going to hell. Now, the distinction is important. What Arminians say, and what I believe Paul says, is that the effects of the cross, his death, the free gift that we just read about, comes for faith in Jesus Christ. The effects of the cross are applied for faith. Becomes the connection to the cross for that specific segment of the society that will hear it and respond and have verse 17 apply to them. But much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, the abundance of grace, could be thought of as the prevenience, the irresistible gift of grace that goes to the entire world, and yeah, the and, free gift. That and is pretty It's important. It seems that chi, the and, is very <clears throat> important. And the free gift. And that free gift so of separate, righteousness. Separates them. Of dekaiosune, of justification also translate that exercise dominion in life through the one man Jesus Christ now I'm going to back it up from that point now having said that much more surely if because of one man's trespass death exercise dominion 
through the one man. And it did. Therefore, much more surely will those who do this and receive this and respond this way exercise dominion. Now, is it possible that there might be others, Lee, others in the world who have received the grace, the prevenient grace that goes to the whole world, but don't know this story or don't know it in this way, but respond to the revelation of God in the universe and to the light they have received. God, therefore, honors their response of faith in the way they've been given light, and they also enter into a relationship with God. That doesn't say no. It simply says, much more surely, these folk. And this is written for Christians. I don't know about these folk. I want to tell them about Jesus, because I know that's a sure way. But I don't know about these folk. All I know is that if they're going to get to heaven, to use that terminology, if they're going to enter into a relationship with God, which is a better way of talking about it, they first have to receive grace. And that means they have received something from the cross. And therefore, any relationship they enter into with God, however they understand and define it, is still through Christ, which is an example of Christian universalism in action. So does that mean Jewish people can't get there? It means that Jewish people can get there. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. They may not know Jesus as their Messiah today. They may not know all of that detail. But Jesus still died for them. They still receive the grace from the cross, just like Muslims do, just like Hindus do, just like Buddhists do. And they are responding to the revelation and the light they have received in Scripture and through the ancestors of their faith. And they're doing the best they can to enter into that relationship with God. And I am not going to say that God is not going to respond to them. All I'm going to say is, here is what the church has received. Here is what I have received. Here is what we proclaim about Christ. And that's kind of what Paul says, isn't it? He, he, I mean, he's dealing with Jews versus Jews who... Jews, Jewish Christians, Christians, and yeah. Gentiles. The, uh, and I don't think he's, he's discarding... Well, he never discards the Jews. Yeah. Not completely. Yeah. He says well, they are put aside right. for a season, but they're not gone. And... All I'm saying is the whole world receives grace, at least a measure of it, to enable the response. And while I know and believe by faith this sure way, I and will proclaim this sure way, I'm not so arrogant as to say that it is not possible for God, because of what Jesus did by paying for the sins of the whole world, to receive the faith however articulated by any of these other peoples and enter into a relationship with them in terms that they can hear and understand. Can't you look at the Old Testament and say that that was an example of... of Preeminent example. Yeah, I mean, they were covered by the same grace as us, mm -hmm. and although they didn't get to see that Jesus was the enabler for the free gift, uh -huh. it was the trusting relationship that he wanted 
as he does now with us. We right. just happen to know that it's based on what he did through Christ. Through Christ. In the Old Testament, it was still that trusting relationship, just as it is in the New Testament. We just have more knowledge now that Christ was the one who facilitated mm -hmm. everybody. And if you're not thinking temporally, it's not a problem to go backwards in time as is to go forwards on this issue. For those of us pure hum poor humans, <coughs> rationally and temporally on occasion, well, you're sitting there saying this, I'm, my question is, I was going to clarify, was prevenient grace, did that exist with God before Jesus, before he allowed Jesus to die for our sins? Okay. I believe that the cross, let me expand it. I believe that the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the entire Christ event, is the absolute fulcrum of history and time and eternity. And that just because his death and resurrection occurred at a certain point in history, by human conceptions, doesn't mean that it doesn't impact both sides of the temporal timeline. And that just as the Holy Spirit doesn't come until Pentecost into the universe in one respect, it was still present from the very moment of creation. And that also gives some light to the concepts of the incarnation. How can Jesus be Jesus before he was born? Kind of bit. <laughs> if this is the center point of all time and eternity, and I believe it is, then... To answer your question directly, Rich, yes. prevenient grace does exist mm -hmm. temporally before as it exists temporally af afterward and comes from it backwards in time and forwards in time. Just as justification and sanctification and glorification, which is the last stage that we don't normally talk about, all those exist prior to the cross too. We hear about justification with Abraham. It occurs before the faith. Faith is a gift of God's grace. Grace comes from the cross, but it, it isn't only after the cross. It comes from the cross before the cross and to after the cross. In other words, I don't believe in time as a real thing. It's a function of, of, of the universe. It's something that we experience. Sometimes things take longer than Christmas to come. But when you're dealing with things of God, time is irrelevant. Which is a good temporal term, by the way. Yeah, I mean, just because we live in a, a world where time is part of it, is all we know. Yeah. Um, if you take somebody who never left the equator, they would think, and you just try to explain what ice was to them, they would think that it didn't exist because they've never experienced it. Talk to someone who lives on the equator about how days get longer and shorter. Yeah. <laughs> they think you're crazy. Yeah. I'm serious. They don't experience it. The days say the same length year-round. You mean the days get shorter in the winter and longer in the summer, and the difference between summer and winter is not dry and wet, but hot and cold? Wow, what a neat idea. It's beyond their frame of reference until they actually experience it. Just like it's beyond most of our frames of reference that during the middle of summer, the sun stays up all day long. But for people who live north of the Arctic Circle, that's an experience, a real one. Um, 
It's your context that determines that. We're caught within time. God isn't. Yeah, exactly. We're ca and within our we're caught within our context of experience, which is the same thing as time. And that's why I believe the same thing that you believe that those people that do not know Jesus are still part of God's plan, part of His love, part of His heaven, because we cannot even fathom the frame of reference of God. So when those people die and have experienced the grace in their living life, we, we are not there. We don't see it. So when they do meet God, and, they, and God looks down at them and says, hey, you know that nice lady that baked that cake for you? That was me. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to look at it. Did you write for Star Trek also? Because we've got an episode on that. Don't they have an episode? Did you know it was a trick? It's not the trouble with trouble. It wasn't until you wrote trick. In the sermon, that one Sunday where you took time and put on a rope, then you took the rope and... Turned it from lengthwise to on point. Yes. And then I went, so we're not an exclusive club. Because, and this is, I think this is part of our sin, is we dare to try to judge people and judge the world from God's frame of reference when we can't even begin to understand who he really is. It's part of the sin of wanting to be like God, which was the initial sin that's talked about in the first Adam the desire to want to be God, we end up thinking, aggregating to ourselves the right to judge people, which is God's prerogative, fundamentally speaking. And what she was talking about with regards to time, I used an illustration once where I took a rope and I said, we, we usually look at time as a linear thing with a timeline, past, present, and future. One glimpse of just one possible way in which God would view time would be to take that timeline and turn it on the end and look down it from the end, from one end or the other, where all of the events on that timeline sit at the exact same point. And they all occur at the exact same moment. So instead of linear, it's punctiliar. And I use the concept of aorist tense for time for all eternity. That's a, just a glimpse of what time, what God's experience of time might be like. But I'm not going to say that is. I'm just going to say that's what God's sense of time might be like. Ideas of time. And, and in that case, the cross is occurring right now. It occurred in creation. It's occurring at the end. listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2009 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 
75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.